You're listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for September 2007. Today's episode is titled, How to Fix a Broken Company. One of the most common reasons for a broken company is poor company morale. Many times, poor company morale is rooted in unequal yoking. Unequal yoking happens when people seek to work together but do not share a common vision and values, which means there is a lack of relational harmony. And now Dr. Chester brings us how to fix a broken company. Well, my topic is uh, team building, relational harmony, and strategic execution. And uh, I'm going to basically tell you a case study this this morning. Uh, But to get into that, let's just set some groundwork. First, let's go back to Genesis, the book of Genesis, and put life in context. And we go back to Genesis chapter 1 where we have the creation account. And we ask ourselves, okay, what is it that God was doing here? And who is God? And then we see Genesis 1.26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule. Notice I've emphasized the word us. That is the plural Hebrew word Elohim, which suggests it's the first suggestion in the book Well, Genesis, uh, early in the first chapter of Genesis, you had the suggestion. But Genesis 1 is the first suggestion here of a plurality in the Godhead. And, of course, we ultimately have come to understand that as the Trinity. But the point is there was a community amongst the being of God. And it's hard for us to understand that he is three in one, but that is in reality what he is. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we have man created by a plural God. Not a polytheistic God, a plural, a Trinitarian God. So there's something significant about that, about community. And then we go to Genesis chapter 2 and we discover something very interesting. And that is that God has said in Genesis chapter 1 that this creation, this physical creation he made is good. In fact, at the end of the sixth day, he said it's very good. And then in Genesis chapter 2, he's saying there's something that's not good. Now, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? And what is not good is that man is trying to dwell alone. That is not good. Man needs to be connected. And I'm using man generically. It refers to women as well. We all need to be connected. Genesis 2:18 says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So we have right here in the early accounts of Scripture clear indication that mankind was made to be a relational being, to connect with other people, because that came from the very nature of God. He is a relational being. So you see how this is how it all started. It started with the idea of relationship right here in the beginning. So my thesis is this. Individuals were designed to work in teams in all jurisdictions. Now, you know there's five jurisdictions. If you've been around the teaching of this school any length of time, you should know these. So when I ask you to do them, you ought to be able to pop them right off, right? Okay, so the five jurisdictions are? How about the self, the individual, family, the church, the business of the marketplace, and civil government. Everything in life falls into one of those categories. And what my thesis is, every one of those jurisdictions... There, it needs to be, whatever you do in those needs to be rooted in relationships. Okay, let's talk a little bit about relational harmony. 
If we're going to have relations, you have, does it make sense that we want relational harmony? You know, relational harmony, relational disharmony is not going to be good. Relational harmony is good. Now we have uh, some teaching on that in Second Corinthians chapter six, verse fourteen. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Now you notice that uh, that's a very interesting verse that we've probably, those of us that grew up in a Christian tradition, you probably heard that growing up. And you probably heard teaching on that growing up. And what did your teachers tell you that verse referred to? Marriage. Marriage. Recently an architect um, was reading my book. And he said, you know, I've really been convicted that I want to build companies based on biblical principles. And I've been reading your, uh, your book and the specific your model, and I noticed this principle about being equally yoked. He said, I went to my pastor, and I, I took him this verse out of 2 Corinthians, and I asked my pastor about it. He said, my pastor said that only refers to marriage. He said, what do you think? Well, I, I'm the consummate question asker, so I answered the question with a question. Okay, so I said, well, tell me this. Look at the rest of the verse of 2 Corinthians 6. Look at the, the last two phrases there. The two things there that he uses in a, as an al- analogy to talk about this principle are righteousness and wickedness and light and darkness. Do those concepts of righteousness and wickedness and light and darkness apply to all jurisdictions? Do they? Okay. Why would I then limit the first concept to one jurisdiction? So as he began to look at that, he said, you're right. Then I asked him another question. I said, well, let's just let's go further here. Let's just don't look just at the text. Let's look at the context. I said, can you tell me anywhere in this context where it limits this verse to marriage? And he wrote me back. He said, I looked all through there. I couldn't find any limitation to marriage. I said, well, neither could I. So I don't see any reason to limit it, and so therefore I don't. I take this as a principle that's true of all jurisdictions. So relational harmony has to do with being equally yoked with people. And one of the ways you can tell you're equally yoked with people is use the C4 principle. It's real simple. Okay, the first one is calling. Okay, calling is about your passion. Are you working with someone in whatever you're doing, and do you have comparable passions for what you're doing? Have you worked with somebody that wasn't, had no passion and you had passion? Or vice versa, have you worked with somebody that's passionate and you didn't have passion? What happened? There's conflict. There's friction. Because if you don't have passion, you're not going to go the extra mile. You're not going to do the extra things you need to do. The next thing is character. Have you tried to work with somebody that didn't share your values and principles? It doesn't work, does it? So you have conflict again. The third C is capability. If you tried to work with somebody that didn't have the ability at your level, if you use the football analogy, suppose you're, you're playing at the pro level and your, the, your teammates are playing at the high school level. The team doesn't work well. You need everybody playing up to the same level. So that's another way that you need to be equally yoked. That creates relational harmony. Finally, commissioning. Commissioning is about trust. Dennis used the term context. Context is that do you have the setting in your life to facilitate what you're doing? That means do the authority figures, have they released you and equipped you and removed the impediments so you can do what you're supposed to do? 
The stage has to be set. If you don't have that stage set, what are you going to have? Conflict again, because you've, you've been held back. How many of you have been micromanaged? I mean, we've all been micromanaged, and it's frustrating. You want to say, let, leave me alone, let me do what I'm supposed to do. A micromanager is someone who is decommissioning you. That's what they're doing. You want somebody that will commission you, release you, and say, I'm behind you, go for it. And if you mess up, they don't crucify you. That's what you're looking for. That's why equal yoking is so important, and that's what facilitates relational harmony. Now, my thesis is relational harmony is the predicate to strategic execution. If you're going to execute well, you have to have those equally yoked teams. They've got to be working harmoniously, in sync together. And then you can be strategic about your execution. And then what strategic execution is all about is seeing what the Father wants your team to do. Now, this is hard to get because we don't think business is about the will of God. But business is very much about the will of God. Do you think God creates and ordains organizations? Do you believe that? There are a whole bunch of Christians out there that do not believe that. They believe God has ordained and created you as an individual, but they do not believe God has ordained organizations. How does that make you feel? That kind of deflates you, doesn't it? Well, what's the point of going to work if God's not in it? Well, go to work, be ethical, and evangelize. That's what you do. You want to be ethical and you want to evangelize. But if we have a sovereign God who created everything and who governs even the flip of a coin... Then he ordains business. Okay? Remember in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, I believe? It says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The lot is what? Casting lots was a way of flipping a coin back then. Take a bunch of straws, you put them together, you got a short straw. Everybody picks the short straw, he did whatever. Okay? That's the way they discern the will of God. You remember in Acts chapter 1, when the disciples had discerned, we need somebody to replace Judas. So what did they do? They said, Father, you know the hearts of men. Would you reveal your will for, for who you want to replace Judas? Then what did they do? They drew lots. They flipped the coin. And we say, whoa, wait a minute, that's just a random event. No, it isn't a random event. We have a very intentional, purposeful God who created the universe. So if you're going to strategically execute, you, you've got to line up with the will of God. That's what you have to discern. Okay, what I want to do is a case study. This is a case study here about the reality of how first relational disharmony nearly destroyed a company. And then you're going to see how relational harmony turned it around. Can you believe that could happen? Okay. Can you believe it could happen in a Christian company? Some of you may know this company. You may or may not know this story. This is the company, Biox de Mexico. It is a company in Monterey, Mexico. It was founded in 1978 by Raul Gomez Sr. He was a physician and a pastor. And he noticed as he worked with his, uh, his patients, they had a deficiency of vitamins and minerals. So he created a company that would produce these supplements and he sold them to his customers. And initially, he was the sole customer of his own company. He didn't sell his products to anybody else for a long time. 
And so the company was small for a long period of time. And then in, in 89, they kind of began to grow. And so he got his eldest son to come in with him. Ryle Jr. was trained, university trained in marketing. And so you can imagine if he comes in, he's got all this training in marketing, he wants to what? Wants to market. Hey, let's, hey, we sell this product to other people. And so they began to do that. And then in 1992, Ryle Sr. became ill. And he could no longer manage the company. So he said, Junior, I need you to manage the company. And so Junior said, look at his chops, man. Now's my chance. So he takes off. And then in 1998, we have two more brothers coming in, Oscar and Jorge come in. And they were both university trained. One of them had a degree in accounting. The other one had a degree in management. And basically what you have here is three very trained people running this, this company. Plus, the father had a lot of business advisors who were very competent people. So you had competent business consultants connected with this company. You had everything in place, it looked like, to do a great job. You know, there's three basic functions to any business. It doesn't matter what it is, where it is, anywhere on the planet, you've got to do three basic things in any business. You've got to get work, you've got to do work, and you've got to keep score. That's it, right there. Okay, you do those three things well, you can have a great company. So they have, that's a three-fold cord, by the way. Did you notice that? Here you have the three brothers. You got the get-work guy, Raul Jr. You got the do-work guy, Oscar. You got the scorekeeper, and Jorge. You got them covered. It looks like a great situation. But what happened? Look at the relationships. By 2000, they had 35 to 50 employees, somewhere in that range, Management and worker conflict is almost out of control. Theft is rampant. Not only were the employees stealing from the company, they were stealing from each other. An M&M attitude pervaded the company. Do you all know what an M&M attitude is? You, you do, you just don't recognize the term. It's me and money. Me and money. I mean, most of, that, most of the workers you work with have an M&M attitude. You may have an M&M attitude. It's all about you and your money. Well, that was, that was what was driving this company, was an M&M attitude. Then you have tardiness and absenteeism going on. There's fights, literally fights going into the company. People are leaving left and right, all kinds of conflicts. It's just a mess. It's a shambles. Now, that's the relationship. So what do you think that was doing to the execution? Well, look at this. Production was in the pits. Equipment failures. Isn't that interesting? Equipment starts failing. Now, what's equipment got to do with relationships? It's amazing. I, it's, I don't know what this deal is, but equipment's failing left and right. Orders are not being delivered. And when they are del delivered, they're late and they're wrong. And as a result, customers are dissatisfied. What happens when customers are not happy? They don't want to pay their bills. And so suddenly you have cash flow problems. Okay, so let's, let's just review this situation so we be sh we're sure that we understand what's going on here. Okay? You have a Christian owner and a Christian management team. Everybody clear on that? You know, this is a kingdom business, right? Okay. Then you have skilled and trained management. They're all university trained. They've all got degrees in business. You have skilled and trained advisors. They have all read good to great. They know the principles. You have the best business principles, the best practices. You know, when you go to most consultants, what do they talk to you about? Best practices. That's their, that's their buzzword. Best practices. 
It's a big thing for them. How many, you, how many Christian consultants you know that have any clue what best practices are? You know, I, I, I find it, I'm, I just get amused when I hear that best practices. I start, well, tell me what that would be. Oh, well, good and great. Oh, well, really? Yeah, built to last. And even discovering the soul of service. Y'all, y'all know about discovering the soul of service? Yeah, it's, it's a research project. We went out and researched service companies. Many industries, big, small, different kinds of environments, and extracted nine great principles. And you know what? Every one of them is a biblical principle. He wrote a big, thick book, and never once in that book does he recognize they all come from the Word of God. So anyway, secular world is offering you the best, best practices, and they had them here. So you have an established company. This company has been around 22 years. Sounds like they had it together, right? The company even, even tithed. Hey, this is pretty good, isn't it? A company that ties. How many of you work for a company that ties? Huh? Anybody? Not very many companies tithe, do they? But we have a few. Well, they tithe. Well, what happened? Well, we have no teamwork. We have total relational disharmony. As a result of that, we have poor strategic execution, and we have a failing company. Does that sound like the recipe for success? Do you want to be a kingdom company like this? So what's the root issue? Let's propose some, some theories here. Uh, you guys are great students of, uh, of truth, students of business. You want to understand what's going on here. Let's just try to figure out what may be happening here. So uh, let's, let's pose this. The problem is a lack of resources. Now, how many would you agree that's the problem? You're not agreeing with that? It's not Money's the problem, isn't it? All you need is money so you can pay your bills and keep going, right? That's not the problem? Okay, all right. How about poor understanding and application of management theory? You just didn't get it. We gave you these great practices, but you just didn't understand how to apply them. Is that the problem? You don't think that's the problem? Okay. Uh, market conditions. Economy, competition. You know, it's just a tough time. God, if people see you, see you doing well, what do they do? They copy you, Right? Okay, so there are people out there trying to do supplements, so surely that must be the problem, right? You're not buying that one either? You're a hard audience. You're not buying anything. How about this? Bad luck. That's it. Bad luck. It, that's got to be it, surely. Okay, you're not buying that one either. Okay. How about this one? Character problems. Now, you think that's it? You biting on that one? Okay. Everybody agree that's it? Okay. Well, it may look like it, but can I propose to you that maybe there's something else that's the root issue? Okay? Should we go and see what the Father has to say? Is there something special about a Father? Father of anything. The Father is the one that God has elected to start this whatever, this family, this business, this church, this whatever. God has chosen to use the DNA in that father to start something. So you go back and you take a look at the father. So here we go. Now imagine, imagine this. You are Raul Jr., Oscar, or Jorge, one of the three, and you are going to your father's bed. And by the way, he's on his deathbed. Now, he's been sick for about seven or eight years. And they have to go now and say to their father, your, your company that you founded 22 years ago and you turned over to us to run, we've killed it. 
Furthermore, you paid us to go to college and get all this training, and we still killed it. How does that make you feel? Okay? Is that an exciting conversation you're getting ready to have? Well, I don't know about you, but I would be shaking in my boots if I had to go to my father with that. That I would feel, I would be incredibly embarrassed. I'd feel shame. I would be probably weeping to go and tell him this. But the father was so gracious. He told him something. In fact, he told them exactly what they needed to do to fix the problem. What did he tell them? Now, some of you may know. If you know, if you know the story, don't speak up. What did he tell them? I want to hear what the others. I mean, you are supposed to be biblical thinkers, right? Okay, what did he tell them? Come on. That's what I thought. Yeah. Read Dennis's book. All right, would you believe that he told them to start a Bible study? What? Oh, give me a break. In fact, he had been telling them to do this ever since 1992. This is now year 2000. Now, where did this come from? Why in the world would he come up with this crazy idea? Ever since 92, Raul Jr. had told his dad, Dad, a Bible study is not going to help us. That's not what we need. We got this business problem, and we got that business problem, and this challenge, and that challenge. We don't have time to do a Bible study. We got to stay focused on making this business work. Wouldn't you think that? I mean, if you're honest, you'd say, yep, I'm right there with him. In fact, the other two brothers were right there with him as well. They came in in 98, but and, they, and they began to hear the same thing. So this comment from their father was not new to them. They had been hearing it probably every two or three months for eight years. Now, what was going on here? What drove Raul Sr. to say this? Well, Raul Sr. had a revelation. His revelation was that he was a dualist. When he got sick, what he realized was he had compartmentalized his Christianity. He had his church that he pastored, and then he had his business. And over here in your business, you really don't talk about the Lord. Now, we want to be ethical, and we want to evangelize. But we really don't bring our biblical reality, our biblical worldview, into work. And when he got sick, he had a reality check. He realized life is too short. Furthermore, I need to recognize that God is in everything. Amen. He doesn't compartmentalize things the way we do. And so he began to realize that it was this dualistic mindset that was in the heart of his, himself and his own sons that was killing the company. And so what was happening is the company was failing due to bad theology. Now, let me just do a quick illustration here. Suppose, how many of you have done rebates? Well, a lot of us have done rebates. You know, I just bought a new phone, and it's a pretty good deal. I had to pay $75, but I get a $50 rebate. But i got to follow the instructions exactly, and i got to wait six weeks to get the money. So anyway... That's a whole other story about rebates. But anyway, suppose that you have set in your order for a rebate, and it's sitting on a desk somewhere in a pile of papers. Okay? And it just sits there and just sits there. Okay? And 
Let's suppose that you have the opportunity to go in and talk to the person behind that desk. And you ask the question. You know, now we all learned how to ask questions, didn't we? What are the three keys to asking great questions? Be relevant. Go to the root issues. And a remedy for transformation. Because you're engaged in a conversation where something needs to change. Okay, so you have an opportunity to interview this person behind this desk. And you say to them, okay, uh, what's this pile of papers on your desk? And they say, well, these are all applications from people that want rebates. I said, okay, why are they sitting there? He said, well, I've just got too much to do. Well, don't you have staff? And you say, yes. And I noticed looking at your staff, they don't seem to be that busy. So why don't you delegate to your staff? Well, I don't want my staff to know how to do all this. Well, why don't you want your staff to know how to do all this? Well, if, I, if they'd learn how to do this, then I wouldn't be as valuable to my company. Oh, okay, so if you're not going to be valuable to your company, then you're afraid you might lose your job. Yeah, I'm afraid I might lose my job. And so and is your job your provision? Well, yeah, my job is my provision. So what about the Lord? Oh, I love the Lord. Oh, you do? Is the Lord your provider? Oh, yeah, he's my provider. Then why don't you trust him as your provider? Oh, I do trust him, but as long as I have my job. You see, you see what's going on here? Bad theology touches you. His bad theology led to a work product that impacts you. This is the spiritual drives the physical. This is what we're trying to get across. I want to give you a picture that you might be able to see this, because I think this is hard to get. I think it's really hard. We, we hear that bad theology, you know, is a problem. It creates problems for us. We think that's just theoretical. But it, act, it is real. You are impacted every day by people making choices based on bad theology. And you are impacting people every day because of your bad theology. And so every day is a job, the job is to discern where I'm not lined up with God and try to get lined up so I can produce a good work product. Okay, so that's what, basically that's where Ronald Sr. got to. He got, he got, he came to understand this reality. Now, when you have this dualistic mindset like he had, what it does, it blocks your ability to interpret and apply scripture. A key element of strategic execution is vision. Remember this verse in John 14, 5? Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Okay, we all know that verse. What he's saying is, you know, for example, let's say I want to travel from Dallas to San Francisco, which I would prefer not to, but I will. I have to know where San Francisco is, right? Okay, I can't, I, I say I'm gonna, I say I'm like Rick and I got my own airplane, I don't, but I wish I did. And the cliffs would be nice, Rick, if you want to get one to share with us. We'll all time share it. But you take off and you gotta have a heading. How, how do I get to San Francisco? I have to know where it is to be able to file a flight plan and fly that flight plan to San Francisco. That's what he's saying. You have to know where you're going so you know the way. Okay, so would you agree that that reality is true in every jurisdiction? Is that true? If you you got to know where you're trying to go with your business to take it there. you got to know where you're trying to go with your family. you got to know where you're trying to go with your church. How about your community? I need to know where you're trying to go with your community. So you can begin to get there. Okay, so we, we agree that's, that's true in all jurisdictions. So, 
Let's, let's look at the next verse. Because here's Jesus' response to Thomas. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, immediately, what do we do with that verse? We compartmentalize that verse into our spiritual life, right? We would not dare bring that verse into business, would we? And to say, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life for business, would we? Now, we have to, we've got to bring our dualistic mindset onto verse 6, but we, we can be broad about verse 5. You see what we've done? We've been inconsistent with our hermeneutic. If verse 5 applies to all jurisdictions, so does verse 6. So if you have a dualistic mindset, it blocks you from your ability to interpret Scripture properly. I wish we had time to delve into that, but I just want to illustrate to you what it does to you when you have this mindset. Now, rejecting dualism enables Ryle Sr. to gain God's perspective on business, which frees him to see that the block in the company is sin, and sin doesn't work. Now, you say, wait a minute. I know a guy that's robbed a lot of banks. Well, he may have robbed a lot of banks, but guess what? Bonnie and Clyde got shot. (laughs) That's right. That's reality. They will get caught. Sin does not work. If you want long-term, multi-generational success, it only comes from alignment with the plan and purposes of God. Period. Only way it will happen. If you want short-term, immediate satisfaction, you might get away with something for a short period of time. And then the judgment will come. So sin does not work long term. The solution is there to embrace a biblical worldview of work and to begin to deal with sin. Then we can develop relational harmony which will facilitate strategic execution. Now what, I want to just give you a couple of principles of, of, um, of biblical principles that undergird, undergird relational harmony and strategic execution. And I'm going to go through this real quickly. The number one principle of relational harmony is God is intentional. There is no accidents. How many of you know people, you look at them and I say, that guy is an accident. How in the world would God ever make him or her? And I know you're thinking about that of me. Give me some grace, okay? We all know people that we look at and we think there's something went wrong here. No. God is intentional. He makes everybody with intent and purpose. There are no accidents. God values work. I wish we had time to talk about Luke 19. And this whole concept of pragmatiomai, that's what Jesus told them to do. This parable of the stewards and the minas is in response to the whole issue that Jesus was dealing with in which the, the, uh, his followers thought he was going to come and, ta- and bring the kingdom of God physically on the earth at that time, which means it would release the Jewish people from the Roman bondage they were under. That's what he, they thought was going to happen. And Jesus wanted to say, I want to tell you a story to let you know your thinking is wrong. And here's what reality is. you got these servants. You give each servant a minor. And then you're, what he tells them, you're supposed to pragmatiomai until I come back. Does anybody recognize the derivative of pragmatiomai? Pragmatic. It's the word we get pragmatic from. It means work. You're supposed to work. You're supposed to steward the, the resources God's given you. You have time. You have talent. You have treasure. Another three-fold cord. You steward those things until he comes. You pragmatiomai. That's what we're here to do. So God values work. We are here for intent and purpose. And therefore, God creates each of us with intent and purpose regarding work. The question about anybody's career is what is God calling you to do? 
And what happens is we tend to think of that in terms of being a pastor or being an evangelist. And it's that, but it is much more than that. God calls people to be janitors. He calls people to be business owners. He calls people to be teachers. He calls, he calls people to be garbage collectors. He calls people to be political officials, believe it or not. He calls people to be everything if you have the ears to hear him and the eyes to see what he's doing. So that's a huge principle of relational harmony. When you see that, then when you see somebody that's not functioning well in what they're doing, what does that tell you? They're probably not in their call, or they need a major paradigm shift in their character. Okay? Those are your, your most likely options. By the way, the secular researchers have gone out there. I love their research. It's wonderful. Because you know what? They, they're studying general revelation, and if you're honest about it, you have no choice but to come to the conclusions that are consistent with the Word of God. And so what happened? They went out there and did some research. And they were trying to figure out how many people generally like what they do every day. I mean, like everybody, you know, you have a few things you don't like about the day, about what you do, but generally like your work, you know, what the, the activities you do in your work. Now, you know what they came back with? 83% of the people generally do not like their work. Now, that suggests to me somewhere around 80 to 90% of the people are probably not doing what they're called to do. And if that statistic is true, that applies in this room. So hopefully that is a wake-up call for some of you to say, Lord, I need to find your calling. Now, do not default and say, that means I need to go to the ministry. I just had this conversation with a client yesterday at 2 o'clock, and I wish I had time to tell you that story, but I don't. But basically, it's an inve- a guy in the investment business who is getting sued by people that are driven by mammon. You know, when you do investments, you sign a contract with an advisor, and it says there's no guarantee. I'm going to make investments on your behalf to the best of my ability using my judgment. Well, he made some investments that lost money. And so they decided they're going to sue him for their losses. There's no basis in the contract for it, but, you know, lawsuits have nuisance value. That's what Bamman does. They go after any angle they can. And so he's, what he's asking me is, well, you know, I think God's probably calling me to the ministry. You know, it's the wrong guy to say that to. Time out. We're not even going to talk about that question. We're going to talk about what righteousness looks like in this situation. That's what we're going to talk about. And when we get past the situation, then we're going to talk about what, what has God called you to do. He's trying to make a calling decision under duress. Now, what do you think is going to happen? Not going to be a very good decision. So we've got to learn. Everybody has a place. And guess what? It's a community's responsibility to help everybody find their place. Okay. All right. Another key principle, strategic execution is facilitated by, by relational harmony, which means that a key function of management is to help people grow in Christ. Now, this, this is huge. Can you, uh, we can't hardly get this into the marketplace. Because we, we, we've got this separation of church and state and separation of church and the marketplace. Okay? Because and I, and invariably when you have conversations with business owners or anybody in the business about bringing Jesus Christ into business, what, what kind of pushback do you get? Huh? Come on, what do you get? Oh, we can't go there. We can't talk about that. You know, it's not politically correct. 
You know, we can't talk about religion, which I, I hate that term religion. I mean, that, uh, that's not what we're about. We're about relationship. We're about relationship with eternal God. What is eternal life? Knowing God. It is not about heaven. Heaven is something we're going to experience at some point in some way, and I don't pretend to understand that. But John 7 tells us, 17 tells us that eternal life is that you may know the Father. Amen. You accept Jesus Christ, you know the Father right then and there at some embryonic way, and you now begin to build on that. You're experiencing eternal life the minute you accept Jesus Christ. And now you've got to walk out the reality of growing into that. And so that's what we have to do if we're great parents, if we're great managers, if we're great civic leaders, we're, and we're great pastors, we're helping people grow in Christ. We have to help people discover their God-ordained work. Everybody has a place. I know we've all seen people, we look at them and say, my goodness, I don't know what to do with that guy. Well, guess what? There is a place that's perfectly suited for that guy, and we need to begin to help people discover their race. Okay, let's get back to the case study here, and we'll, we'll bring closure to this. The brothers obeyed their father and started a Bible study. And here's what happened. They used a children's Bible storybook. Now, in Mexico, most of the people are Catholic. And they, Catholics don't generally study the Bible, nor do they read the Bible. And so we're taking a very basic approach here. We're going to take a, a children's Bible storybook. Oscar, the head of production, began with his group. Initially, it's 15 to 20 minutes of reading and prayer, and the company paid the workers to attend. That's interesting, isn't it? Okay. Look what happens. Transformation now is beginning to set in. After a few months, they expanded this thing to an hour a day. One hour out of an eight-hour day. Think about that. Workers are still paid to attend. They're reading through the Bible now. They've put themselves on a program to read through it over the course of a year. They began teaching and preaching the gospel. Oh, we're not just reading the Bible. We're now declaring Jesus Christ is Lord. Personal prayer is available. You know, Catholics really don't have personal prayer. They have prayers, but they're, they're rote prayers. It's really not personal prayers. Now they begin to pray for the people. Each worker receives a free Bible. Virtually all workers are attending. This is voluntary. Nobody has to come. We're doing this every day from 8 to 9 o'clock. If you want to come, we will pay you to come. If you want a Bible, we will give you a Bible. If you want prayer, we will pray for you. And we're going to teach you the Word of God, and we're going to preach Jesus Christ to you. All of you know companies like this, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every company in America is doing this. Okay? Management begins to pastor the workers. They begin to get a, a mindset, our job is to pastor these people. They realized we have more time with these people than any pastor in the city. Our job is to pastor these people. Within a year, relational harmony is achieved. Conflict, absenteeism, tardiness, the M&M attitude disappeared. Whoa, what's going on here? Huh? Relational harmony facilitates strategic execution. Now look what happens here. Production soars. Wow, what's going on? Then you have equipment breakdowns. They, they decrease. These, these machines that were mysteriously breaking down, they stop breaking down. I said, whoa, what is happening here? 
But that's a machine. What's that got to do with spiritual reality, right? Orders are now being shipped correctly and on time. Customer satisfaction increases. Bills are timely paid. The company becomes profitable. Ah, but that's not the greatest thing that happened. Look at this. For the first time ever in the company, ever, every employee got a bonus. Never in the history of the company had they done that. Happened in one year. One year. From the verge of bankruptcy, standing beside their father saying, we have killed your company, to prosperity because of a Bible study. Do you see it? Do you really see it? The reality of spiritual truth and what it can do to transform your company because it transforms the lives of your people. It's right here. China right now, getting ready for 2008 Olympics. And the Chinese government's figured out something. They figured out we got a bad environment for visitors because our shop owners are not nice to their customers. So what are we going to do about this? Well, now they have decided it's against the law to not be nice to customers. That's the world's solution. That's what they come up with. Okay? What BX Domenico demonstrates is you want transformation, it starts right here in my heart, changing me in the way I live, and then it changes Earl, and it changes Michael, and it changes Dennis, and suddenly we're working together in this team, and we've got relational harmony, and, we're, and if we're where we're supposed to be, now things begin to happen. And we begin to produce a great work product. Now, I want to give you the seven keys, and I'm, I'm, going to, I'm sorry, I've got to bring closure to this. You can tell I don't have any passion about this at all. I'm sorry. Okay. First key. These are seven operating principles that they gleaned from what they learned from this whole experience. Number one, listen to their father. Good thing to do. Listen to the father. Daily Bible studies. One hour paid time. Pastor the people. Provide free Bibles to workers. Pray daily for the workers. Now, we don't not only pray for them, we will pray specifically. If Brenda's sick, I would have, we're going to pray that God will heal Brenda. Brenda's daughter is sick. We're going to pray that God will heal Brenda's daughter. We're going to, we're going to be concerned about the personal needs of the people. Henry Ford bemoaned the fact that when he hired people, he couldn't just hire a pair of hands. You know what he was after? He just wanted your work product. He did not want your problems. He didn't want your worldview. He didn't want your marriage issues or your child care problems. He just wanted you to come do some work. And he bemoaned that he couldn't do that. He could never find anybody where he could just hire a pair of hands. He said, I always hire the whole person. And I don't want the whole person. Well, the solution there is to change the whole person. And then you will change the work of the person. So they prayed for the workers. They tithe every week. Every Wednesday they sit down, they look at their, their profit from the prior week, and they tithe based on that. That's a practice they had been doing all along anyway, which shows you tithing is not enough. Tithing is a part of it, but it is certainly not enough. And they unabashedly teach Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. There's absolutely no holdback on this. 
Now, can you imagine a company committed to that? I mean, that is utterly phenomenal. By the way, if you want to read this story, it's in Kingdom Companies. It's page 25 in Kingdom Companies. Okay, wind up. Dualism doesn't work because spiritual reality undergirds all reality. Whatever you are doing at work and at home, whatever habits you have, whatever you're doing in your church or you're not doing, whatever you're doing in your community or not doing, it is a reflection of where you are with Christ. And if you want to change those things, those external indicators, you change where you are with Christ. You go deeper. You deal with your issues, your blocks, your hurts, your pain, your wrong theology. Whatever it is that's blocking you, you deal with that. That will change the results you're getting. Remember this, the great teams build great companies. You want to be a part of a great company? Then you've got to be part of a great team. Great teams are rooted in a holistic, biblical worldview. And great teams are evidenced by relational harmony which facilitates strategic execution. Now, I want to say one more thing to you before I close. Be ready for the green light. Now, those of you that have been through the school, you know what that is. Those of you that haven't been through the school, it's not what you think it is. I know the first time I saw that label on the tape or as a CD that said God's green light, I thought, well, it's just an encouragement to go forward. It is not that. It is not that. And uh, interestingly, I first read this story um, about six or eight months ago on a plane. And when I saw it, I said, man, I, I gotta, I've got to share this story. This is such a great story. But I didn't know how to pronounce the name Biox de Mexico. And so I've been trying for six months to figure out how to pronounce that name. So when I got here this week, I found out there was somebody from Mexico here. And so I began to kind of look for him, and I, I ran him down. And, and he came up, and I said, you're from Mexico. He said, right. I said, D, can you tell me how to pronounce this name? And I showed him the name. He said, yeah, that's my company. <laughs> I said, what? And that was Jorge, one of the brothers. I said, unbelievable. I mean, I got so pumped and excited. I mean, God has facilitated an opportunity for me to meet this guy. I said, do you know the story that's written about you? And so we sit down and we talk. And I told him, I said, here's what the, what the book said. And he confirmed, it's all true. And then he said, but you know, the green light is on. I said, tell me about it. He said, since we started doing this, we have had all kinds of resistance and all kinds of challenges. Do not think this is a fairy tale ride. It's not a fairy tale ride. No, he's pushing the buttons. He's inviting the enemy attack. And the enemy is always going to do the gut checks. You really want to play this game? I mean, those of us that have played sports and had cruel coaches, they understand the gut check. You know, I remember one time when, when I, I played end and I played in the game and I dropped a bunch of balls. Okay, the next practice, the coach is the next quarterback. We have a two-hour practice. He sends everybody in, and he says, "Up, nope, not you. He says, come over here. Full gear, run. He ran me up and down that field. He threw passes high, low, behind me, ahead of me, and he made me. He would not stop until I started catching every one. 
I mean, I was, my tongue was hanging out. He probably threw balls to me for an hour. I never had a game like that again. Okay? Now, that's what coaches do. Coaches put you under the pressure. They're going to make you go forward. Okay? Now, God uses the enemy to do that. Now, God does it, and he uses the enemy. And that's what happened to this company. This company made a quantum leap forward, and now there's a gut check. Are you going to stay in the game? Are you going to continue doing this? This is so counterculture. Nobody else is doing it. And you're going to hear all this pushback, and people are going to tell you you can't do that and all that. Are you going to do it? That's the challenge. If you want to be really great at what God's called you to do, you've got to be able to deal with the green light. And the green light is on God to gut check you and the enemy to be used as a tool by God to do it as well. So, Lord, give us a grace to handle the gut checks. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your grace and your goodness and your faithfulness. We thank you for your reality that you are into everything. You are excluded from nothing. That you define truth and reality for every jurisdiction, and you give us the way to run our businesses. Lord, teach us to look to your word as the handbook for business, for public policy, for churches, for our individual lives, and for our families. Give us grace to do that, Lord. Give us grace to be kingdom people. We commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.